Good morning. Today you get to hear from me. Next week it'll be Peter again. Um, <laughs> thanks, Peter. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be here today with you all. Um, last weekend, uh, I was reading the newspaper and ran across this. I don't know if you ever read these little inserts in the newspaper. This is the USA Weekend uh, little thing here. And it had an article that says, how do you imagine God? Tell us. And what they did on their website is um, on the USA Weekend website, you can go there yourself if you'd like, is they invited people to post what they thought God was like and what they believed about God. And so I thought I would show a couple of these to you this morning. Here's one. I don't believe in any higher power, but if when I die and there happens to be one, I'm pretty sure he or she will be much more connected with how good a life I led rather than if I believed he or she was real or not. My greatest moment of doubt was September 11th, 2001. I was in the seventh grade and I remembered watching the news thinking, what kind of God allows this magnitude of devastation to happen? Here's another one. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Epicurus. I imagine God as a human made creation used to explain a world that didn't make sense to our ancestors as well, as, a mythical, as well as a mythical being used by elites throughout history to control the masses. Pretty honest. Here's one, uh, Dr. Paradox. My most powerful moment of belief was the vision I had when barely out of infancy, when I had double lung pneumonia, was not expected to survive the night, and met a figure my toddler mind identified as Jesus, and who told me what I was on earth for. Naturally, I forgot it as soon as I became coherent again. I was raised as someone to respect the lessons of Jesus the Christ and to look for his light in others, to believe that all humans are brothers and sisters, that sibling rivalry can be a real pain in the butt. That's probably true. Um, the article in here said this, USA Weekend, together with PBS, wants to learn your image, image of God's personality and behavior. Research shows this tells more about your worldview, whom you love, how you vote, your response to a crisis than any other social label. It connects to your views on evil, morality, politics, war, and more, says sociologist Paul Frosey. That's coming from USA Weekend in the newspaper, saying that your image of God has more influence on everything connected to what you do in life than any other social label. Um, one of my favorite Christian authors is A.W. Tozer, and he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is not only true of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that we call the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Our real idea of God may lie buried under the rubbish of conventional religious notions and may require an intellectual and vigorous search before it's finally unearthed and exposed for what it is. Only after an ordeal of painful self-probing are we likely to discover what we actually believe about God. 
We can never know who or what we are until we at least know something of what God is. What would you say on your faith book about God? That is faith book, not Facebook, okay? <laughs> um, what would the sanctuary, what would we as a church say on our faith book page? Well, we're actually going to look at that today because we've already written it and it's on the back of your S News, okay? <laughs> so if you didn't get one of these, uh, actually Susan's back there and she's got some. You want me to raise your hand if you want one? Someone over here that wants some, a couple around. She'll walk around and give you one because we're going to follow this around today, so you may want to have one in your hand. Uh, one woman here said the first time she read this, it felt like a love letter, and I thought that's pretty cool. A couple things about this before we go into it. Uh, Peter wrote it, and staff and the board kind of revised it and tweaked it some. <laughs> Shannon and Woody really want one of these. <laughs> um, and I know that each one of these points probably could be like a whole talk by itself, um, but we're going to kind of take an overview look at it today. And if each of you were to read this and then we were to ask you, well, what stands out to you, it'd probably look a little bit different depending on what you'd say. So it's just that today you're going to hear, hear about it through my perspective as kind of the community life pastor here at the sanctuary. Um, as I was looking at this, I was kind of noticing that kind of numbers one through four talk about loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that numbers five through nine kind of talk more about loving your neighbor as yourself. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That sounds like the Bible. Um, all of them talk about what we think of who God is and what he's like and what the sanctuary, this local church, is like as well. So we're going to look at that. And it's really important because if our image of Jesus is twisted, then so is our image of our spouse, our friends, our family, our coworkers, and every other relationship. So we're going to take a look at that. Um, before we go into it, let's read Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. It says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which... God lives by his spirit. I know you've heard it said here a number of times that this building is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary because his spirit lives in you. So now we're going to take a look at this. So hopefully you got one. Shan, Woody, you got one? <laughs> Good. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to read through together these first four that are on here because these are the ones that talk about uh, loving Jesus and having a picture of who he is. Here's what we want our sanctuary to be. A group of people in love with Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Jesus defines us. He's our groom, and we are his bride, his body, his city, his temple, his sanctuary. Jesus is our vision, and worship is our strategy. Surrendered to Jesus in worship, he tells us who we are, fills us with himself, and impregnates us with his life. We are called to live, like his, like, called to live his life as his body in this world his living temple, his sanctuary. The church, any church, is his creation. We love because we have first been loved by Jesus. The church is people wrapped around Jesus Christ and him crucified, people transfixed by the relentless love of God, people filled with love because God is love. We want to be a people enamored with God's grace. 
Jesus is God's grace incarnate in human flesh. At the intersection of time and eternity, Jesus bore our sin, sorrow, shame upon a Roman cross. And there he descended into hell to exhibit the depths of his love for all and redeem us all with his blood and romance us to himself. God is always better than you thought. Love of Jesus is always deeper than you know. And the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. Do you believe that? A real church in this unreal world. Jesus is the truth. His Spirit is the Spirit of truth. We cannot arrive at the truth without being truthful. And we really don't want to just play church, but be the real church. We're like the stinky manger in which the Christ child is placed. When we're honest about the mess, we can be honest about God's grace. We are in the place which Christ is born. We are the sanctuary in which the glory of God is destined to dwell. The sanctuary must be a safe place to surrender our mess, not a safe place to hide our mess. A safe place for truth, but not a safe place for lies. A safe place for honesty, but not for arrogance, self-centeredness, and pride. God will not abandon us to our illusions, but will transform us into his sanctuary. And then fourth, a place where we wrestle the word. We want to be a biblical church. We believe the scriptures to be authoritative on all matters, matters to which it speaks. Jesus, who is the word, inhabits the written word and uses the word to wrestle the lies out of our hearts and into his truth, himself into our hearts. Jacob wrestled the God-man, and the God-man named him Israel, which means wrestles with God. We wrestle with Jesus. He can be a bit scary, but he's always good. He wrestles the lies right out of us and gives us a new name. That's pretty cool. Um, when you know you're loved, it really changes your whole perspective on life. And I know there have been times for me in my life when um, trying to have a relationship with an invisible God was just really hard to wrap my brain around of what does that look like. And uh, so what I'd like you to do is just simply think of somebody that you love right now. Maybe it's uh, your spouse, maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's uh, someone in your family or uh, someone that you've just really developed a close relationship with. And then think about how did you come to love them? Way back to when you first met them. Uh, what did that look like? So I could probably plug in a few different people in that little scenario, but for today I'm going to plug in Bill. But when I talk about Bill, I want you to think about whoever you're thinking about right now. Uh, and it'll look a little different for everybody, but here's how it looked with Bill for me. But it, it so much mirrors my relationship with Christ. And that's what I want you to think about in your human relationships that give a picture of what it might look like to grow in your personal relationship with Christ. Um, when Bill first asked me out, I said no, <laughs> initially. Um, <laughs> I was really too busy. I was actually um, interested in someone else and, at the time. And, um, and uh, you know, later, Bill used to joke about, you know the movie Jerry Maguire when um, Tom Cruise comes in trying to win back Renelle Zellweger and he, he starts in with his little speech and she's like, you had me at hello. <laughs> Well, Bill jokes and he says, you had me at no. <laughs> okay, so um, that's how we started out. But there were people uh, here in this church and in my small group that knew him, worked with him, and invited him here to church that they started telling me about him. And they, they thought he was cool and started telling me that, you know, I would maybe take the time to get to know him. And um, so I, 
I thought, okay, so we finally went to coffee and, you know, and getting to know him, uh, honestly, initially, there were things that were probably not real great motives on my part and pretty superficial. You know, I thought he dressed cool and, and um, he drove a Hummer. I thought that was cool. And he lives in this downtown condo and I love downtown Denver. And I thought, you know, oh, that's really cool. And, um, but then we started spending time together and doing things and we found out we had common interests, things we just enjoy doing together, uh, common activities. And we started to realize we had the same values about things that were important. But most of all, the point where I really started to fall in love with him was when I started to see his heart. And this guy has the most amazing heart that I always say, it's like your heart just somehow wells up and just comes squishing right through your eyes because he's so easily moved to tears and so easily drawn in having compassion for people and their stories and things they're going through. He cries at movies, he's like, he's amazing. I thought, that is the heart of Jesus in there. Um, well, that little scenario was real similar to how I came to know Christ. At first, I mean, even though I grew up in the church and I heard a lot about him, in college I was like doing my own thing, partying, all that. And um, I just wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in anything to do with Jesus. It was just a big no. And I think Jesus' heart is, you had me at no. So if you're one of those that, that maybe has struggles and you put up your hand and like talk to the hand, I think Jesus has got his eye on you and he is pursuing you. Jesus also works with wrong motives. A lot of us come in wrong motives all the time and we come for the wrong reasons, think he's gonna get us stuff or you know, we try to manipulate God or whatever, but he's, that's all right, he's not threatened by that. He's gonna even use that to romance you into a relationship with him. So I start spending time with Jesus through reading scriptures or reading books and things like that. And I find out there's values about this guy that I like, his love, his compassion, his truth, his, his grace. Most of all though, I started to see how Jesus related to me. When I would read stories in the scripture, and even though again I grew up in the church, I didn't get this somehow, but I was starting to see him as a God of love and that he actually relates to me on a very intimate level, and that was new to me. I find that I'm often drawn to the similar type of person, whether it's a friend or Bill or you know, other people or around or whatever, and they all seem to carry the same weird mix of two things. One is strength, their ability to speak truth, stand strong, and the other is compassion that's this merciful heart. And to me, the blending of those two is so much just like Jesus. So when you find yourself drawn to somebody or falling in love with somebody or whatever, maybe there's someone else inside of that person that you're really drawn to. Uh, the first thing that we as the Sanctuary Church wanna be about is helping, to fall each other, helping to, for each other to fall in love with Jesus. Uh, whether that be through sermons, through relationships here, through small groups, classes, whatever it might be, that's really what we want. We want to help each other give a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Some might say, well, aren't, aren't the sermons and classes and house churches all that? Isn't that our strategy? Well, our little thing here says worship is our strategy. And for me, I had to really chew on this. Like, how is worship a strategy? I, that's like okay, I'm, I'm in a role here of trying to work out plans of how we do stuff here. Well, how does that fit in with it? Worship. So that's something to really uh, think about. To me, it says this, that worship 
probably has more to do with how and why you do what you do than what it is you actually end up carrying out. To me, worship, and it could be described a lot of different ways, but worship is that thing inside that just kind of wells up and go, oh, that's so cool. You know, we worship the Broncos that way, and we worship other things. But, but um, when it's Jesus, it's that thing that wells up and go, oh, he is so cool. You know, when, when I was going out with Bill and others were talking about him, it was other people talking that allowed me to go, there must be something really cool about him. When we are talking about Jesus or others, we're, it's like we're singing their praises that help you see the person. So our strategy here is to sing the praises and just talk about Jesus and what we like about him. So I encourage you to tell your stories of um, your life, your, your story that probably includes some loss and brokenness and the ways that Jesus is redeeming and just basically what you like about him. Um, if I sat down and made a list of all the things I love about Jesus, just really like about the guy, I really could come up with a long list. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to share one right now. Here's something I really like about Jesus. It's that when you read stories of how he related, he was just so secure in who he was, and he was so um, flexible about what every person and situation needed in terms of love in that, in that scenario. Over here, he was confronting someone and speaking the truth. Over here, he was weeping in compassion for somebody. Over here, he was healing somebody. Over here, he was just being quiet and not doing anything. And all of that was done out of love. And I'm like, that's so cool. I want to be like that. Here at the sanctuary, part of our um, strategy plan is to talk about him, sing his praises. So maybe it might look like this. If you're a parent and you have kids and you are raising them and having to discipline and all that, and both through the, the struggles as well as the good things, and you know when you're disciplining, you love your kids so much, but they don't see that. Well, keep talking about the parents. You talk to other parents about how that's such a mirror of our relationship with Christ and the Father's heart towards us as his children. Maybe you're in a marriage where maybe it's struggling, maybe it's doing great, whatever it is, as married couples are talking to other married couples and going beyond the marriage and looking at, well, what's the picture of Christ in that? And how can we help through our own stories get to know part of Jesus? Part of um, talking is also listening. If you're in a conversation, at least, hopefully you're doing some listening in the middle there. And um, part of um, showing Jesus is listening to people when they're going through that hard time and just taking the time to show them that acceptance and love without judgment. Sometimes we want to listen to others just to hear what they know about Jesus. You know, how do you experience him? Sometimes that helps us see other sides that we don't quite get yet. It's been said that actions speak louder than words. So actions really are another way of talking, another way of singing praises. So if your actions are going on a mission trip to Africa or mowing somebody's yard or inviting somebody over to dinner, those actions are speaking to people. You're like a walking faith book out there and writing on the world of what you think about God. When we talk about Jesus, we're singing his praises, and singing his praises worship, and worship is our strategy. Some of you I know have a hard time singing his praises because you feel hurt, abused, abandoned by people, and then you have a hard time thinking God could be anything different than that. 
So you run and you isolate because you don't trust. And yet, when we do this, and I, I've done this as well, we create our own little hell, our own little bubble, all the while still hiding in there, longing for that hunger for love, that hunger for Jesus. When you're in that spot, I just encourage you to be honest with him. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him if you're angry. Tell him what's going on. In whatever ways he might whisper a small thing to move towards that whisper. Ten years ago, I was um, turning 40, and I was single at the time, and I had been dating this guy in Chicago. And I thought, you know, the kid thing's on the line. I'm turning 40, and I really wanted to have children, so I better hurry up and make this happen. So I moved to Chicago in an attempt to try and, like, make myself fall in love and go for it, okay? So I got there, and I just, honestly, I just couldn't work up making myself fall in love to the point where I wanted to marry this person. So after a while, um, I broke up, and then I thought, I'm out here in Chicago, what am I doing here? I'm working at Nordstrom's, I don't know what I'm doing in life, I'm feeling so lost and so confused. And a lot of the same way I felt about him was the way I felt about God. I can't make it happen, I can't just make it be there. And somewhere in a quiet place in my bedroom one night, I heard this voice, and the voice was this, not audibly, but I felt like this is what God was saying to me. And he was saying, Fran, you would move across the country to fall in love with a guy. To what lengths would you go to fall in love with me? Well, I know God can work a lot of different ways, and he can make you fall in love a lot of different ways. But at that time, I really had to go, okay, well, where do I fall in love with him? And where do I seem to get to know his heart the most? And I thought, it's back at Lookout Mountain Church where Peter was preaching. So I picked up and moved back to Denver. <laughs> and um, I thought, I don't care if I'm flipping hamburgers at McDonald's. I, my goal right now is I just want to know Jesus in his heart because I cannot live without that, even if everything else falls apart. Um, we talked in here about God's grace. We want to be enamored by God's grace. I heard this little thing maybe in Sunday school somewhere that was an acronym for grace, and it was God's riches at Christ's expense. And I think that's really true, his expense on the cross. We seem to live in this age of entitlement. We, we pride ourselves in what we earn and what everybody owes us and um, our achievements, our resumes. But I think we'll never really be enamored by grace until we've experienced our own poverty, our own brokenness, and our own failure. Grace is never something we can deserve or earn. It's completely a gift that only Jesus can give us. And not only are we saved by grace, that we also grow by grace, only by his doing. I thought, you know, how can God be better than I thought and his love be deeper than I know? And I think the short answer is that simply by knowing how deep the grace goes. And to know how deep the grace goes goes into that part about a real church in an unreal world, which is a safe place to be a mess. I've found that, I used to, okay, I used to think this. Um, I used to think the more I grow as a Christian, the less I sin. Well, that's not quite how I see it now. Now how I see it is the more I grow as a Christian, the more I'm aware of how deep the sin goes because it's not just, uh, you know, don't get drunk or, you know, this kind of thing. But it, it, sin runs through my mind, my thought process, my emotions, my will, my motives, you know, my insecurities, my fears, my control, my self-protectiveness, 
in relationships and the way I relate to people, it runs so deep. And the more that I'm in a place where I'm secure in Christ's love or I can admit that, the more I need his grace, the more I'm enamored by his grace. Here at the sanctuary, I know you're going to get in relationships with people that are going to bump up and feelings get hurt and, you know, um, don't quite, things don't go the way we want. And there will be opportunities to extend grace to other people. And then the thing about wrestling with the word, which was the fourth one, you know, I grew up in a church that um, I think loved the Bible more than Jesus. They would take the Bible and dissect it so much and get every theological thing right and just completely miss, like, who is Jesus and what is he like? And it was just more about getting all the right answers than it was about knowing a living, breathing God in our universe. It's possible to know about Jesus and still not know him. So I encourage you guys to, to get into the word somehow. Maybe it's just you personally. You, you're just going to decide, I'm going to just start reading something. Um, maybe you've never read through the Bible, like cover to cover, and you grab a friend and go, hey, let's, let's try that. <laughs> it's like a big task. Let's try that together. Uh, maybe it's through something here at the church. We hope to provide ways where the sanctuary, you know, through our house churches and different small groups, it's a safe place to wrestle with the word, both the written word and the person of Jesus Christ. Our whole goal of Bible studies is that you would know Jesus and what his heart is like. And in doing so, that you would know who you are and what you're like. So number five on here, uh, church without walls. The good news is not bound by human walls. We do not want to be defined by terms like conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. We want to avoid denominational walls, walls created by movements and fads, racial walls, social economic walls, relational walls, and even physical walls. The two words that jump out in that part to me are those relational walls. Maybe that's the counselor in me. <laughs> and as I work with the body of Christ here at this church, communities are just get messy. I mean, we all start out like, hey, this is going to be cool. And then, you know, things sometimes get sticky and all that. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if even so far and however long you've been here, that there's maybe something that's made you kind of want to put up a wall. And I don't know what that is, but think about it. What would that be for you? Maybe it's you didn't feel appreciated. Maybe it's someone didn't use your ideas for something. Maybe the board or staff made a decision and you're like, huh? And it made some, some kind of a wall go up. Maybe it was gossip. Maybe somebody said something hurtful to you. What does Jesus want you to do with that, that wall? What does he first do with you when you're that way? What does he want you to do in this particular situation that you might be thinking of right now? Maybe he wants you to go talk to him and clear the air. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants you to just work it through between you and him and pray about it and, and maybe wait for another timing to talk to someone. Maybe he wants you to seek out a trusted friend or someone in confidence that you can help sort it out. Like, okay, here's what happened. I don't know what's mine and what's theirs, and I'm trying to really own my part, but I don't want to take on what's not mine. And <laughs> maybe, you need, maybe he'd be leading you to do that. Or maybe he's just simply leading you to agree to disagree and then still go have lunch with that person <laughs> and still be friends. I can't tell you what to do, but his spirit can. So you can only hear his spirit through that personal relationship that you would grow with him. 
Colossians 3 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The enemy would love to like divide and conquer groups in this church. But I encourage you all to um, extend the grace of Jesus to each other because when you're enamored by his grace to you, you'll be enamored by the idea of giving that away. Uh, number six, a church within the church contains many churches. The sanctuary is a small part of the church universal. And within the sanctuary, there are many churches. A church is two or three gathered in his name. A lot of you already know this, but the last Sunday of every month here at the sanctuary, we do house church. And house church is kind of our way of growing community. And right now we have eight. There's one that meets here, one that meets in sanctuary foothills, and six others that meet in homes. And um, they're all still about worship, but just in a much more informal setting where you can really get to know people and do life together. And uh, we still do prayer and sharing and um, communion and an offering that goes to a ministry partner and maybe a life story or a testimony. Um, but we really encourage people to be a part of the smaller church as well as this bigger church here. Um, number seven is a church centered in the city. Uh, initially, when we came here, we felt called to be in downtown Denver. And I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but as the city goes, the nation goes. And someone once told me, if you can impact the city, this, all the cities of the nation, then you'll take the direction of that nation the same way. So, um, you know, we felt called to be down here. However, however uh, we have people all over the Denver metro area, up in Evergreen, and our prayer is that we continue to go out with the message in whatever city you live in, Englewood or Arvada or wherever. And um, even with our videos that Ben does every week, really the message goes out all over the world. He can track the hits of where people come from when they track our videos, and they're coming from all over. And I'm like, that's pretty cool that the gospel is going out in those ways. Number eight. Just enough structure for good things to run wild. We provide a minimal amount of structure through house churches and a few sanctuary-wide programs in order to provide a maximal amount of room for the life of Christ to run wild. That may be frustrating at times. When it is, we hope that you would ask the Lord, what do you want to do through me? We are painfully and joyfully aware that anything truly good only happens through the spirit of Jesus implanted like a seed in the womb of a yearning heart. When we worship our groom, we give birth to his life. Messy, painful, confusing, but profoundly good. Sometimes programs, programs start to get lifeless, but what we're counting on is that Jesus lives in you, and we want to provide enough structure, which for us right now is we want to start with house churches, for other things to run wild. And the other things to run wild, we hope, comes through you. What, we're, what we'd like to ask of all of you is to simply help own that growth process with us by you being a, an active part of that. It seems to me that we live in such an instant society, you know, like between texting and voicemails and internet and, you know, drive up windows and within minutes and seconds you can have what you want. And sometimes we come to church and go, well, I put in my order, how come I don't have what I want? <laughs> and we don't get instantly what we want. And uh, 
you know, it's just because relationships are different. You know, relationships take time to grow. Relationships are also reciprocal. There may be some things that we initiate and there's some things we want you to initiate and have a relationship together where we grow this together. Some of you might say, you know, I'm, I'm uh, too shy or uh, I'm not very good at kind of stepping into that. Well, maybe your initiative is simply, you're just gonna show up. You're gonna sign up or at least, you know, come um, or make the need known. And others of you might be gifted in certain ways that we want to see what those gifts are. You know, maybe you have a dream or a passion or a calling and we want to see what those gifts are. Um, we have found one little, little snag, I guess, if you will, and that's sometimes people here have said, well, I have this idea, but I have no idea who else out there might have the same idea. And I don't really want to do it alone. I want to do it in community. So how do I find that out? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today because we want to help connect some of the dots between you. So number nine, and Ben has a little picture here up on the screen that can come, um, is the context for community. I've just kind of, here's kind of how we see it here at the sanctuary. Most often, not always, but most often, their people's first experience here at church is in this corporate worship right here. Um, out of that, you know, maybe you come for a few weeks or a few months and you think, finally I'm ready to kind of jump in somewhere. So what we'd invite you to do is get involved in a house church. A lot of times people are not sure about the home thing just yet, and so downtown house church and Sanctuary Foothills are a great kind of feeder group where people can come initially and get a little taste of it without totally diving in. And, uh, you know, the downtown one has about 90 people in it, so that's not very intimate. And the Sanctuary Foothills has about 50, and that's not very intimate either. But so what we really hope is to eventually have, have you all get into a house church that's maybe more like 15 to 25, where these relationships can really do life together. Um, and then out of house church is what we were just talking about. Goofing off, small groups, Bible studies, prayer groups that come from your dreams and the things that you think you'd like to either lead or be a part of, and then we want to help connect you together. So right now, you have a yellow card in the back of a chair near you that you probably have already seen um, when you were fishing for the children's one. So pull that out because we'd really like everyone to fill one of these out. Um, if you're a couple, you could fill one out together. And, you know, partly why I'd even have you fill out the top part, even if you think you're already in our database, sometimes we get emails that are bounced because we can't read your handwriting and you never did get anything from us and then you're hurt. So <laughs> we really still want you to fill that out. And then, you know, Peter talked about, you know, Jay Ware, we prayed for him today. Jay Ware and his wife, Becca, are gonna be coming here from Ohio and uh, starting November 8th, and he's gonna be working with both uh, junior and senior high as well as college and young adults. So it'd be really great to have the information if you're a parent, what are your uh, children's names and ages? Because right now our database does not have a way to track that. Um, and then uh, junior high, and then if you are in college or a young adult, maybe to mid-20s or so, go ahead and put your own name down there or maybe you're a parent of one and you'd like to kind of get them in the loop. The second section says getting connected through programs for the whole church. These are more the ones that we run kind of from top down that includes house churches. But for now, I'd just like to know if there's any out there that would like to come to our Welcome to the Sanctuary class next week or after church. We'll provide lunch and childcare. 
it's a time to meet staff, learn about the church, and maybe you've been coming here long enough that you're kind of like, yeah, I'm ready to dive in a little bit more. And then we'll um, go from there and help you learn a lot more about who we are and get to know you as well. Um, as Peter mentioned, we started classes here, and uh, we've got this marriage class and men's and women's Bible studies and stuff, but we'd like to do more classes. But I'd just simply like to know, if you were going to come to a class, what topic would you like it to be on? Um, the marriage one, we've got like 34 people signed up, which is pretty cool, and um, just a great time to learn from them and from each other. So what I'd like you to is fill that out. Um, Oh, there's a, oh, the next section. The bottom section says getting connected through house churches, and that's what we were talking about as well. If you are in a house church, would you write which one it is? And if you're not in a house church, would you like to be? Um, if you're in the downtown or sanctuary foothills house church, would you like to be in a smaller one in a home? I've had a number of people come to the downtown one and say, that is just too big. I, I really can't get to know people in that setting. So... Um, some like it for that reason, but, you know, if you'd like to be in one, let, let us know. And then B is that part we were talking about of what are your dreams, what's on your heart, what, what do you feel a need for? Um, is it a small group? Is it a Bible study? Is it a service project? Is it some kind of activity group about hiking or biking or cooking or, you know, whatever it is? Now, if you're the only one that says basket weaving, we probably won't do anything with it, so don't be hurt if we didn't form the basket weaving group, okay? We're just simply trying to see what is out there, help you guys connect in a way that we're, we're praying that if that happens, that someone will rise up to be the facilitator and we'll, we'll try to help facilitate it. So what we'll do with these cards is we will take them and pass them to your house church pastor so that they can help connect the dots and go, oh, I didn't even know there were three people in my own house church that want to do the same thing. Or maybe there's... Maybe you're the only one in your house church, but then we find out there's four others from four other house churches that wanted to do that thing, and we just need to start connecting you guys together. Does that make sense? And then we'll also pass on information to um, Jayware and other things that people need to know about on here. So the last one on here, number 10, is mystery. I actually love this part. Some people hate mystery. They like everything, you know, laid out. Um, but mystery, you know, says, you know, we can't grow this thing. It's God's deal. It's God's church. It's God's house, his ministry. You are his. And the way the spirit works is so many different ways with surprises and twists and turns that we can't predict all that, and we're glad. So let's em embrace that mystery. There's one quote I want to read here about mystery, and it, again, it's from Tozier. And he says, The spirit of God works in mysterious and surprising ways. The love of Christ both wounds and heals. It fascinates and frightens. It kills and makes alive. It draws and repulses. There can be nothing more terrible or wonderful than to be stricken with love for Christ so deeply that the whole being goes out in adoration of his person that disturbs, purges, satisfies, and relaxes the deep inner heart. As we get ready to go into communion, I have one more uh, Facebook page I want to show you from that website. And this is from, I don't know her real name, but Ams. And she says this, There's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Christ is the beginning and the end of all things. His love is incomprehensible, unconditional, and beyond what the natural eye can see. It is only with the help of the Holy Spirit who reveals all truth to us that we can grasp the revelation of the great mystery of the Godhead three persons within the confines of one awesome deity. 
the Son of God, namely Jesus Christ, was sent by our great Abba Father to die on a tree for all humanity. A perfect, holy God-man gave up his life for you and for me so that we may know him and experience freedom from shame, guilt, fear, and condemnation. This freedom is only found in a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. There is a terrifying beauty in the cross. As we go into communion here today, I want you to take a look at Jesus' faith book for you. And it's what he says about himself, and it's also the way that he defines you. The night that Jesus took the bread, he broke it, saying, take heat, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, drink all of it. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As you come to the table today, you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. The dark cups are wine and the light cups are juice. And as you take his body and blood, you're putting inside of your body and blood because he lives in you and you are his sanctuary. Okay, so I know that walking with Jesus can sometimes be really hard. And sometimes it's really exciting and really great. And I also know that um, life here at the sanctuary together can sometimes be really great. And sometimes it can be really hard. So I thought I would show you one last faith book and it's, it's my own. So let me read it to you. This is the end of us as the sanctuary. And we are not where we're supposed to be. We're no, no longer can it be said that we've got something great here. My friends and I, we're all down about being in a house church. It's not true that I know what I want when I see it. Outward appearance is more important than heart. I have to tell you, our time is too short for big ideas. It's just not true that we like this whole Jesus thing. We don't care. And you should never think we are moved by poverty and brokenness. What I really hope is you open your eyes to true values. What's really important to me is what the bachelorette is wearing. And we don't really care all that much how Jesus lived. I think it's unbelievable that people listen to Jesus. What's important to you? Not that you find God's love, for your life is gone. Don't think that life as his sanctuary is all going on. It is at the end as we know it. Unless Jesus reverses how you see it. At the end as we know it, it is going on. Don't think that life as a sanctuary is all gone. For your life is God's love. Not that you find what's important to you, that people listen to Jesus. I think it's unbelievable how Jesus lived. And we don't really care all that much what the bachelorette is wearing. What's really important to me is that you open your eyes to true values. What I really hope is we are moved by poverty and brokenness. And you should never think we don't care. We like this whole Jesus thing, and it's just not true that our time is too short for big ideas. I have to tell you, heart is more important than outward appearance. I know what I want when I see it, and it's not true that we're all down about being in a house church. My friends and I, we've got something great here. No longer can it be said that we are not where we're supposed to be and that this is the end of us as a sanctuary. <laughs> the sanctuary will never end. 
And you know why? It's because the life of Jesus, the resurrected eternal life of Jesus lives inside of you and you are his sanctuary. In Jesus' name, amen.